The following recording is from the Parramatta Christian Church pulpit series. These sermons are freely available at pcc.org.au. Contrast really after that sweet presentation. Now we're going to be thinking about suffering this morning. <laughs> but this is where we're up to in our series. And so if you've got your Bibles, please go ahead and grab those and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. Today, as we continue with our unbroken series in the book of 1 Peter, we're going to be confronted by the horrible, difficult, yet necessary issue of Christian suffering. In particular, dealing with the the pushback and the resistance that comes our way because of our faith in Jesus because of our allegiance to him and so if you've got your bibles open now at first peter chapter 4 we're going to jump in at verse 12 and read down to verse 19 so it's first peter chapter 4 verses 12 through 19 i've entitled this morning's message an unbroken faith in a broken world verse 12 dear friends Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any kind of criminal, or even as a meddler, that's a busybody, a sticky beak, verse 16. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for the judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. An unbroken faith in a broken world. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we're so thankful for your word. Because Lord, this morning we're going to be encouraged in the face of hardships and suffering, Lord. And your word is so rich when it comes to this theme. And so we do live in this broken world, and we do as believers want to maintain an unbroken faith. And so this morning, would you use this message to help that, Lord God? Would you help us in Jesus' mighty name? Amen. Amen. Now, to help focus our minds and hearts this morning, I want to show you a clip from the Unbroken series, and arguably this is the climactic scene in the movie, and what you're going to see is the, uh, the it's a true story of Louis uh, Zamperini, and uh, he carried a beam, and you're going to see it in the clip for approximately 37 minutes, and it really sets up this subject of suffering, so take a look at the clip. Hedron, 
by. Powerful. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus on two separate occasions said that it's the one who endures to the end. It's the one who stands firm to the end who will be saved. What's intriguing about these words from Jesus in Matthew's gospel is that he tied them to a particular point in human history, namely the last days, the days in which we now live, when, to quote Jesus in Matthew 24, wickedness will increase and the love of many will grow cold. Jesus is talking about our world, our broken world, increasingly becoming a difficult place to live in for people in general, but even more so for those who want to do his will and adhere to his way of life. Radiating Jesus out there, according to Jesus, will increasingly become more difficult as we receive uh, pushback and resistance from people in the world. Peter, in our text in verse 18, echoes the words of the Savior when he basically says that for the righteous person, it is hard to be saved. That is, for the disciple of Christ, it's hard to be saved, meaning that the road on the way to the eternal kingdom, which is our true home, resembles a war zone. Literally, the road is littered with trials and difficulties and suffering and persecution that intend and seek to destroy and break our faith in Jesus. And so on the back of Jesus' two statements in Matthew's gospel, And Peter's words to us here in verse 18, I want us to engage with the critical how question. That is, how do we maintain an unbroken faith in this broken world? Or to use imagery from the unbroken movie, metaphorically speaking, how can we uphold the beam of faith in our hearts so that we endure to the end and be saved? Are you with me? And so that's the question on the table, this how question. Well, this is why Peter is so helpful in our passage because really his words are timely. He will come alongside us pastorally this morning and help us deal with suffering so that we do in fact maintain an unbroken faith in this broken world. And he's going to remind us of three key things to remember in the face of suffering. He's going to tell us to expect it, exult in it, And he's going to encourage us to entrust ourselves to God in the midst of it. That is, we're to expect suffering as believers. We're to exalt in our sufferings and also to entrust ourselves to God in the midst of suffering. So are you ready? All right, we're to expect it first. Listen to what he says in verse 12. Straight out of the gate, he says to us, Dear friends, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal or the fiery trial that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's likely that some of these early believers were shocked by the fact that they were experiencing pushback from others. It was like, hey, we've just turned to Jesus and now everyone is turning against us. And that caught them off guard. And so Peter has to write to them and say, "Uh, guys, it's normal. Expect it. In fact, if Peter was here preaching, he would likely say something like, you can't be a sincere, genuine Christian and not experience some kind of resistance. It goes with the territory. And maybe he would remind us of the fact that the great creator, Jesus himself, was murdered by his own creatures. That the light bearer, the one who is the light of the world, who said, let there be light, was shunted into the dark by his own image bearers. And so he would probably say, what makes us think as Christians that we are going to escape persecution of some kind? 
And of course, that doesn't mean that we living in Australia will experience the same types of persecution that other Christians are facing around the world, like in Nigeria and North Korea and other places. But in our Western setting in Australia, I do believe that we will uh, be pressured to conform increasingly so to a secular, pluralistic world view. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. For example, in recent weeks, there have been a number of events in media, maybe you've, you've heard of some of these, I'm just going to mention two, that really show the growing marginalization of the Christian faith in Australia. In Queensland, some of you know this story, the Queensland government can now warn some schools against allowing its t- uh, pupils from talking about Jesus in the playground they're not allowed to hand out Christmas cards with Jesus' image on it because, well, we all know that's terribly offensive, right? I mean, and, and these are primary school kids. That's proselytizing. That's evangelism. You can't do that. And also in Tasmania just recently, two guys were summoned before the anti-discrimination tribunal because they expressed their Christian views on marriage and homosexuality. And they were dragged before the courts. Now, listen. I don't want to be a prophet of doom, because prophets of doom don't attract many friends, but it's inevitable that as the judo-Christian worldview is increasingly shunted to the margins, we're going to feel the pinch, and we're to expect it. We, can't, we, we, we need to not be taken off guard, like, oh, we didn't see that one coming. Increasingly so, the Christian worldview will be pushed to the margins of the public discourse, which will mean a number of things. First, that we as Christians will increasingly, listen, feel like strangers in a strange land and not permanent residents. We will increasingly feel like pilgrims. Hello, First Peter. We are pilgrims, but we actually feel like pilgrims in Australia. And certainly we won't feel like a privileged people, privileged Christians living in a nation sympathetic to the Christian world view, but increasingly feel like ostracized, even ignored Christians living in a pluralistic, secular nation. Peter comes alongside us this morning and says, expect it. Expect it. Don't be taken back. Don't be, oh, I didn't see that coming. And also, I believe that Peter would say this. When you expect it, whatever you do, when it comes, don't become dogmatic. Don't get dogmatic. Don't get all narky, as some social commentators are encouraging the church to be. You're losing ground. So metaphorically speaking, take up arms. Come on, you've got to be more militant and win back ground. No, no, no. Peter says elsewhere that we are to be subservient that we're to be respectful. We're not to take up arms, as it were, and be dogmatic and intolerable. Neither are we to become cynical or pessimistic and just retreat, retreat, retreat in our cloistered communities saying, oh, they're the bad guys. We're the good guys. No, no. We're to continue to love our neighbors as ourselves and our nation as ourselves by humbly and honestly living out the good news of the gospel, the message of grace and truth, and verbalizing it to to those we daily come into contact with, and even at a governmental level. Why? Because we sincerely believe, don't we, that it's the Christian message that brings wholeness to a people, brings wholeness to a nation. Amen? 
So this is the first thing we need to keep in mind about suffering. We're to expect it and not be taken off guard when it comes, increasingly so. That's the first thing. Secondly, and this is crazy, but only at first, he says, exult in your sufferings. Listen to what he says to us in verse 13. He says, don't be surprised, but rejoice, rejoice. I'm using the word exalt because it begins with E and it just kind of fits, doesn't it? Expect, exalt, and trust. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Now, this is crazy. He's saying, when suffering comes knocking at the door of your life, you're to glory in it, not grumble because of it. You're to sing, not sigh because of it. But some of us here today, maybe all of us are like, how the heck do we do that? Come on, throw us a lifeline, Peter, for crying out loud. We're drowning in the sea of inability here and powerlessness. And because Peter is such a good apostle and good pastor, he says, okay, I'm going to throw you at least three wonderful lifelines to help you exalt in your sufferings. Number one. Suffering for Jesus, the first lifeline, suffering for Jesus is a privilege to prize. It's a privilege to prize. Verse 13, he says, rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Jesus. In verse 14, he says, if you are insulted for Christ, for the name, you are what? Blessed. You're blessed. You have God's stamp of of approval. In verse 16, he says, if you suffer for the name, well, that's awesome. That's something to praise God about. You see, for these believers, these apostles, suffering for Jesus was a privilege to prize. And it's something they did prize. You remember Acts chapter 5? They were dragged before the religious leaders and they were beaten to a pop. They were flogged. And what did they do when they left the council? It was like, oh, you know, grumble. No, no, they, they rejoiced because they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name, for Jesus. Not that they were masochists and actually enjoyed the pain, like, oh, didn't it feel good being whipped? No, no, they rejoiced because they were being treated like their Savior was treated. And they considered that a privilege to prize. And Peter's not alone here. Other apostles join in on this. Paul, for example, in Philippians 1.29, this is what the apostle says. He says, for you, listen, this is, this is great. He says, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting Christ. We're all, we're all good with that one, right? It's like, yeah. But listen to what he says. But also the privilege of suffering for him. We're like, no. We like the first part, not the second part. And you see, the reason why we struggle with the second part is because we are Australians. <laughs> because we... Uh, let, me, let me repeat that, rephrase that, just so you don't throw things at me. Because we're Westerners. Is that better? Pommies. We live in Australia. And we do certain things really well. But I tell you one thing we don't do well, Pain. We don't do trials very well. Oh, we do beach well. We do eating out at restaurants well. We do comfort well and health well, but we don't do suffering very well. And often when suffering comes knocking at our door, we just want to run away from it. It's so inconvenient. We get away from it. And Peter would say to us, man up. Come on, stop being soft, you Aussies and pommies. It's a privilege to suffer for Christ. That's the first lifeline, if you consider that to be a lifeline. The second one, (laughs) it is. All right, I haven't convinced you. Maybe these next two lifelines will convince you. 
To suffer for Christ now means glory for us in the future. I need to read the text and give you an illustration because this is absolutely massive. He says in verse 13 again, Rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that, so that, what? So that you may be overjoyed. My translation is crazy happy when his glory is revealed. He's talking about the second coming of Christ when he will come and establish his kingdom, consummate the kingdom, and it will no longer be contested. His reign will be established forever and ever. Amen. And so this is what Paul is, uh, Peter is saying. We've got to get this. He's saying that suffering here on this old earth is going to serve our joy on the new earth. Let me give you an illustration. You're like, that sounds good, but I don't quite get it. An illustration. How many of you have had a real bad nightmare and in your nightmare, you've lost someone really dear to you? Maybe a child in your dream, that is, or a spouse or a friend. I've had a number of these dreams since having kids, Um, maybe two or three. In my dream, so vivid, you don't realize you're having a nightmare when you're in a nightmare, right? And, And it's so real. It's so realistic and vivid. In my dream, a horrible accident has happened, and my kids, my girls, my three girls have, have died. And, and in my dream, I am not crying. I am <coughs> sobbing so deeply and so loudly, in fact, that I've woken Natalie up a couple of times, and she has to wake me up and says, it's okay, darling, it's okay. You're just having a bad dream. And, and then when I come round and realize, hold on a minute, my heart's still pounding and racing. I was just... It was just a dream. It was just a nightmare. And at that moment, regaining consciousness, I I, I love my kids even more at that moment in time because, well, I loved them before, but now I've come through the suffering of that nightmare and realized it was only a dream. I I love them. My love for them is intensified and my joy is intensified. And I just want to wake them up and cling to them and hold them. Peter is saying suffering will serve our joy that way. The suffering, the nightmares experienced here for Christ on this old earth is going to serve our joy on the new earth. So it's going to, because we'll look back and say, that was a nightmare and, and it will serve our joy for all eternity, which means implication. We can look in the face of our sufferings and say, you are not going to get the better of me. I'm going to, by faith, exalt in you because one day you will serve my joy. You will maximize, intensify my joy for all eternity. And so I'm not going to serve you by fearing or doubting or being, you know, despairing. You're going to serve me. This is our hope, church. This is our hope. And this hope functions like an oxygen mask tank in the deep waters of despair. And so wear it. This is a massive lifeline to help us exalt in our sufferings. Number three, the third lifeline. This is equally as powerful and relevant. Peter tells us that suffering for Jesus brings the ministry of the Holy Spirit brings the courage and the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen again to what he says in verse 14. He says, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Why? For the spirit of glory 
and of God rests on you. Now, this is big, but we need to grasp what he means if we're going to exalt in our sufferings. Many commentators believe that Peter is referring here to the glory cloud of God in the Old Testament, the Shekinah glory, the Shekinah glory. I've always wanted to say that in a sermon, you know. <laughs> you know it's kind of hypey American preaching, a Shekinah glory. Well, I've said it now, so I'm satisfied forever. Seriously, the Shekinah glory, which, stop it, Jeff. resided on the tabernacle that Moses erected and also filled the temple that Solomon built. And of course, the Shekinah glory cloud represented the, the residence of God, the presence of God, but not only the presence of God, but the empowering presence of God. When the glory cloud went with them in the desert, it meant that God was with them and it gave them courage to take ground and the battles they faced. They, they were confident that God was with them because of the Shekinah glory. And so what Peter is saying here is that when we go through valleys, we don't only have the shepherd with us, but that we also have the warrior king with us. His glories with resting on us. He's going to give us strength at the right moment. When we need it, it's going to be provided by our faithful creator. That's what he's saying. And so that should give us joy in the midst of suffering because we're not going to do this alone. He is well and truly with us. I read just some months ago uh, an article by Corey Tamboom on this very verse. And some of you would know Corrie Ten Boom. She was a Dutch Christian who, along with her family, helped many Jews escape Nazi Germany. And in that whole process, she was arrested along with her family and her sister and thrown into a concentration camp. And as a young girl, she turned to her dad and she said to him, Daddy, I'm not sure if I'll have the strength or the courage to be a martyr for Jesus. That's what she said as a young girl, profound. And her father wisely looked at her and said to her, Corey, when we go to the train station to catch a train from Harlem to Amsterdam, when do I buy your ticket for you? Three weeks before? And she looked at her dad and said, no, dad, you you, you buy the ticket just as about we're going to step on the train. And, and, And her father said, exactly. I buy that ticket when you need it right at that, not three weeks before. And the same is with our Heavenly Father. He knows now as a young girl, you don't need the strength to be a martyr. But if you face death, if you gain that privilege of facing death for Jesus, He will give you the strength. He will give you the spirit of glory so that you may have the courage to walk through it and go through it. Well, years later, after suffering horrendously in a concentration camp where she saw her own sister killed, she wrote these words. I took great comfort in my father's advice. Later, I had to suffer for Jesus in a concentration camp. He, God, indeed gave me all the courage and power I needed. He will. That's the promise. His glory, the spirit of glory and of God will rest on us when we need his help. He'll be there with us. And so latch hold of these three lifelines and exult in your trials, exult in your suffering. So we're to expect it and we're to exult in it. Number three, we're to entrust God in it. 
and trust God in the midst of our suffering. Verse 19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit and trust, in other words, themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. In fact, the the strength of the Greek is constantly entrust ourselves to God. This This is not talking about a single act, but a constant attitude. When things are tough, things are hard, and you're not waking up from the nightmare, so to speak, you're like, regardless, I'm going to depend on Him. Regardless, I'm going to trust in Him and trust myself to Him. In fact, the, the word that Peter uses here, commit, is the same word Jesus used when He uttered His last words from the cross. Father, I commit myself into your hands. In other words, I entrust myself. And Jesus throughout his whole life did that constantly. It wasn't a single act. It was a constant attitude of committing, committing, committing. Even on the cross when he was God forsaken, he didn't lose faith. He entrusted himself to God. And that's what Paul Peter is calling us to do here, to follow our Savior. We, we're not saved by committing, right? We're saved through his entrusting, but he's telling us, come on now, follow his example and commit yourself to him in, in the midst of hardship. But again, we know this is difficult to do, right? This, this is hard. You see, look, a little illustration. For some, suffering for Jesus resembles a hammer that beats on the nail of their heart, causing them to be driven into God further. Boom, boom, closer to God, closer to God, closer to God. And yet for others who suffer for Jesus, the, 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 the suffering resembles the claw side of that same hammer that yanks their hearts out of Jesus or away from Jesus. And so the question becomes, well, then what's going to help me be hammered into God and not lose heart, but continually entrust myself to God and actually swallow up fear and not be swallowed by fear? Well, he gives us, again, a couple of important reasons here or obstacles. I I call them the comprehension obstacle or hindrance that keeps us from trusting in God in the midst of suffering. And also the corruption hindrance, just one or two minutes on each. The comprehension one first. What do I mean? When we go through hard times, we start to ask questions. And that's natural. And I think that's good. I mean, we look at some of the Psalms, they're filled with, why God? I don't get it, God. But when we allow that to permeate, it can become a foothold from the enemy. And he can worm his way in and start to cause us to doubt and question God's goodness. And so when we are questioning, Lord, I don't get it. I can't comprehend what you are up to. What we need at that moment in time is something to anchor our minds on. To help us perceive somewhat what God is up to in our suffering. And Peter gives us an answer. It's not a cliche, easy, pat answer. All right. It's not the book of Job, like the three friends. Hey, you're suffering because you've been bad. No, no, no. It's something else. And it's this, verse 12. He says, When you are suffering, it's because you are being tested. Tested. And what Peter means is that we are being refined. Testing is very cold, clinical, but being purified is, is, is better, isn't it? It's a better picture that we are being made more like Jesus in our trials. If you remember what Peter tells us in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, 
He says, you've had to face these various trials and God is using them to refine you, but your faith is worth more than gold that perishes, but your faith will result in praise, honor, and glory. Meaning when we stand before God on the judgment day, he's gonna praise us for faithfulness. He's gonna glory in us because we've committed ourselves to him as our faithful creator. And so this sifting process is a blessing because it helps us become more like Christ. And, and, and in that, nominal Christians will fall by the wayside in suffering and God's true people, I guess, will be elevated. And that's one of God's reasons and purposes for trials in our lives because God wants to make us more like Christ. And so that's the comprehension issue. But there's a deeper, more sinister reason why we struggle to trust God in the face of suffering. And it's the corruption obstacle. It's the corruption issue. What do I mean? We've got to realize that our hearts don't work properly. They don't. That, that yes, they work better now since being converted. They're not dead. But still, they haven't been fully sanctified or perfected. And so when suffering comes our way, we still struggle. And the corrupt nature of our hearts can start doubting God, questioning God. And Satan can worm his way in and say, you see, <laughs> he doesn't really care for you. He's really in it for himself. Doesn't really love you for your sake, but for his own sake. He's a megalomaniac. He's an egotist. He's not really loving you. He hasn't got your interests at heart. You see, this is what happened, isn't it, in the garden, right there at the beginning, the ultimate lie, where he wormed his way into the garden and he sowed that lie into the minds and hearts of our parents. And basically it was this. You can't trust God. He's not good. That was it. He's given you all this thing, but this one tree, oh, come on, he's holding back his best from you. Yeah, you got to eat it, and then you'll really know, and et cetera, et cetera. That was the lie. And our parents, and forever since that, corruption has been injected into the bloodstream of humanity. And so, come on, let's be honest. When we go through hard times, in our heart of hearts, we don't really believe that God is for us. Heart of hearts. Oh, we may know it. I know. I preach it. But in my heart of hearts, when, when, when something goes wrong in my life, I go, I feel it. Are you really for me, God? And so what do we do with that? How do we deal with our corrupt hearts? Well, we need to remind them of the one place and take them to the one place where God's love has been displayed. And that is the cross. We've got to go there. We've got to take our hearts there constantly to the one who not only carried the beam for us, but was crucified on the beam for us to deal with our brokenness and to make us unbroken. That's where we take our hearts. We, 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 we preach against our feelings because our feelings are wayward often. We need to take them to the cross again. As one writer, Oz Guinness said, all doubts about the Father are silenced in the Son. All doubts about the are silenced in the Son. If you're doubting God's love for you and His care for you, you just go to the cross because there exhibited on that beam is His care for you. And so take your heart to the cross on which the Prince of Glory died and survey it, to survey it. And so silence and zip your hearts in those moments of trial and hardship. Yeah, And so this is how, according to Peter, 
we maintain an unbroken faith in this broken world. We expect it. We keep a good heart in that. We exalt in it. And we entrust ourselves to our faithful creator. And we continue to do good, even if that means more hardship and pushback and resistance. Because it's a privilege to be treated by the world the way our Savior was treated by it. It's a privilege. And we will have the Spirit of God and of glory resting on us. And suffering will eternally serve our joy on the new earth. Can I hear? And amen. Hey, let's pray. Let's just sit on this for just a minute. And this is what I want to do in particular. I want to pray that the spirit of glory and of God would rest on each of us this morning. We all go through our stuff. We've all got our trials. And we bear them because of Christ. We want to honor him. We want to stay close to him driven closer to him and into him, not away from him. And we need the Spirit's enabling power. And it's here for you. It's here for you. It's the promise of God. As Hill said, he's here as our Father. He wants to take us in his arms. Father, I just pray. Lord God, as we reflect on this, as we open our hearts again to you, Lord, would you fill us, Lord, with your spirit anew. Oh, Lord, thank you, Lord God, for your word. Thank you for your promises. Well, I, just, I pray, come on, if you're, if you're there, you can stand if you, if you want. Just stretch out your hands to heaven, to your Father. Say, Father, Father, I want your spirit, Lord. I want more of your spirit, more of your enabling And if you're not going through any hardship, that's great. Praise God for that. But again, ask for His Spirit because living in this world is inevitable. We're going to need more of Him. We're going to trust Him in the small things so that when these big things occur, we'll have that habitual lifestyle of clinging to Him and trusting in Him and we won't be taken off guard. And so, Lord God, fill us in you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Let's stand, church. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just where you are, just pray. Just talk to your Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord. says that when we are insulted for your name, we are blessed. And so I pray, Lord, that we as your people would receive and experience that blessing, the endowment of the Holy Spirit, Lord, to strengthen us and encourage us and give us new life, Lord God. Thank you, Father. I pray, Lord God, as we go our separate ways, as we mingle over morning tea, I pray, Lord, that we'll encourage each other, Lord. And if any of us are going through a hard time, that we'll stand with each other and encourage each other and remind each other of some of these things that we've been reflecting on this morning. 
in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If, if you are going through something and if you'd like prayer this morning, we're here for you.